good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading Philippians, or we have read Philippians. Actually, we read the first four chapters, which is all there is. <laughs> so when I say the first four chapters, I mean all four chapters. So we are ready to do a summary of Philippians. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to the folks at Philippi, he was imprisoned in Rome. Now, when I say imprisoned, it was kind of like a house arrest. He wasn't. He was living in a place that he was paying for, is my understanding. Um, but he was under guard. He couldn't leave, but he could have guests, and people would bring him things, and he could uh, write letters and send those out. So he wasn't imprisoned like in a deep, dark dungeon. Okay, now Philippi, the city of Philippi, or town, Sometimes I will say town. I don't know how big this place was, so I apologize. This is not my best suit uh, because that's not what I know the best of. But um, I take, I try to take the time to look some of these things up, but I still think of it as uh, more of a town. But they could say it's a city. It's a coastal town there. Nonetheless, um, so Paul sent them this letter um, that, you know, encouraging them and thanking them for their gift. So, now, let me get into the first chapter here. In the first chapter, uh, Paul greets them and he thanks them for their gift. Um, he lets them know that uh, he knows that God will continue his work in them. And that's in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When the Lord returns, that's when we'll be made perfect. Probably none of us will attain perfection before then, but he is sure, and, and we should be sure, that we will, you know, that, that work that we're doing, that to try to follow Jesus, to try to become as good as Jesus, that will be completed when the Lord returns. We will be made we will be made that. That's when that work will be done. So he prays. He prays for them that they will know the fullness of God's love. Oh, I am reading out of the English Standard Version. I am. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. So uh, just to let you know that. Now in verse 9, he prays for them that they will know the fullness of God's love. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment knowing all of God's love so that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. If you read on to the next verse, um, he mentions that his, in, his imprisonment, which was meant to actually, he feels it was meant to actually deter his ministry or to slow down the spread of the gospel, has actually been used to spread the gospel. Uh, if you look at verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because it has become known, if you read the next verse, so that it, ha it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So news of this is, has spread and is actually spreading the gospel because it's making people aware of the gospel of, of Jesus because some people have never heard of Jesus and here they hear about this guy that's imprisoned for the Lord. So Now he also mentions in verse 21 
and my pages are sticking together. Pardon me just a second. All right. He mentions in verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, to live, he's living in Christ and doing what the Lord wants. But for him to die is to gain <clears throat> for him personally, because he would go to heaven, and he would be with the Lord. So for him to live, <clears throat> excuse me, to him, for him to live is Christ. Now we move on to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, um, part of the, the main theme here is be like Christ. Um, verses 3 through 5, if you read those, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, he is telling them to be like, you know, follow Jesus' example and to be like Christ and look out for others. He also tells them, down in verses 10 and 11, that uh, Jesus is exalted above all. And if we go down there, actually you, you can look 9 through 11, it's probably better. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I think that's pretty... Uh, pretty self-explanatory there that uh, Jesus is exalted above all others. We are to be children of God in this corrupt world. He goes on to tell us we are to be children of God in this corrupt world to offer the word of life to all. And uh, that is in the next verses. Where he's talking about, Therefore, my beloved, you have always been obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So this says holding fast to the word of life, and um, I think in the other translation, the, uh, the uh, Amplified translation, it says offering the word of life to, as to others to the world. So you are holding fast to it, though. You're staying true to the word of life, which is the gospel of Jesus, but you're also offering it to others, you know. And we are lights of the world, children of God. You know, we are hopefully shining out of the darkness as Jesus did to attract people to the Lord. So that's, that's the general idea, or specific idea, really. And then... In the rest of chapter 2, he talks about sending uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus to them. Now, Epaphroditus will be returning to them, basically, since he's the one who brought uh, 
the gift and their letter. And so he's sending him back uh, now that he's well and he is better and he's, he's recovered. And Timothy's going to go with him. And, and there may be some others that are going with them, but definitely at least those two are going. And they're going to go back to Philippi. And then the idea is Timothy will bring word back to Paul so that he he knows, you know, how things are going with them and, and you know, what their condition is, how things are going, how, uh, <clears throat> how they are doing because uh, Philippi, there has been some persecution and some troubles there. So, we move on to chapter 3, and Paul basically says that to repeat things, to write the same things to them is no trouble to him and is safe for them. And what he's saying is to repeat the same lessons or to tell you the same things from, from God's word is no trouble. It's no trouble to, to hear the same thing from God's word again. And it's safe for you. It's, it's a safety. It's a safeguard. It reminds you of what's in God's word. Sometimes, I mean, I, I know sometimes we have the attitude, well, I've, I've read that. I've heard that. I know that. But sometimes we have to say, do we really know it? Are we really following that? Um, are we really... You know, how well do we really know that? Do we need to hear that again? Do we need to read that again? I would say when it comes to God's Word, yes. <laughs> and we need to hear it again. We need to read it again. It doesn't matter how many times we've read it or seen it or heard it. We probably need to read it, see it, and hear it again. That is just because we need these things to be, we need to be reminded, we need to remember God's word and what he is telling us and, and how we should be. So it is to remind us <clears throat> when we when things are repeated, it is no trouble. And it is to remind us it is a safety for us. <clears throat> that's how God is teaching us as his children. And that's how you teach your children. You repeat the same things. You say, no, don't do that. Not, don't do that. No, don't do that. You know, you say, or, oh, do this, yes, do this, no, do this, yes, really, do this. And then, you know, you keep, you repeat yourself. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm not trying to just make a lot of it, but that's one example. You do repeat yourself, and it's pretty normal. So, uh, there's nothing wrong with us reading and studying the same things. Uh, you never know when you will learn more from that. When you will get more out of that, it's uh, it can be a very good thing to go back over something that you've already read. So, so that there again, in chapter three, he does tell the uh, congregation at Philippi. He does warn them to beware of false teachers. He does mention this. It doesn't seem to be as big of a deal for them as it has been for some of the other congregations, but he does mention it, like maybe he's just being safe. He's saying, you know, beware of them. And that's in, let's see, is that in verse 2? Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
And that is referring to, I know that sounds really bad, but that is referring to uh, those people who were coming around trying to tell them that they still needed to be circumcised and et cetera, et cetera. They were trying to get them to follow parts of the law, and that's just not the case. It's not necessary. So um, if you are circumcised, which has become kind of a tradition among a lot of people, uh, especially uh, Christian folks adopted that for some reason. I think it's because of these false teachers, honestly. But, um, you know, eh, if you are, it's not a big deal. It's, it, you know, it's just something that's been done to you, and it's just the way it is. It's not, doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't change your standing with God. So don't worry about that. Now, he also writes that he considers all, um, all, lost or all garbage everything is garbage compared to christ let me read that because i don't think i wrote that very well indeed i count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake i have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that i may gain christ so all he's saying is that everything in his life or everything that he has lost we think of as you know not having and maybe lost he counts that as garbage compared to knowing christ compared to following the lord and being in christ he considers that to be the most important thing of all and that's a it's a great attitude to have that's an attitude we should have i don't always succeed in having that good of an attitude myself i, I admit but we should be that way he also talks about pressing on and trying to reach the goal. And the goal is Jesus. The goal is for us to follow Jesus, to chase after Jesus. Our goal is to reach Jesus, the level of perfection and godliness that Jesus had. That's our goal, and that's what we're chasing. And he says that... Uh, he has not attained that. Let's read what he says here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Meaning he's still following Jesus. He's forgetting what lies behind. <clears throat> In other words, the, the errors, uh, the mistakes. You know, he gets up every day and he's pressing forward, following Jesus, trying to, to reach the goal of being like Jesus. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So if you do have the wrong attitude about it, then God will let you know. I really think this is how God is letting us know that um, this is how we should do. We should... Every day, get up. Now, he does also mention in verse 16, let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, you know, learn the lessons that you've learned. Don't forget the lessons you've learned. But do, you know, put away the mistakes of yesterday and the day before and the errors you've made and continue on every day fresh, following the Lord, trying to attain his godliness and his perfection as best we can. So we do this every day, <clears throat> and we put behind those mistakes and failures in the past, but do learn those lessons 
you know, whatever lesson we've learned, like if we, let's say, <clears throat> let's say we've lied about something and we got ourselves into trouble and we learned the lesson that we should not be lying. <laughs> okay, that's a simple lesson. I think it's one we can all understand. Well, each day, the next day, you get up and you move forward and you put that behind you. You remember the lesson you learned, we should not be lying, which is in God's word anyway, but just in case, remember the lesson you learned. Hold true to that, but press forward. Keep following the Lord. Keep trying to uh, become more and more like Jesus. That's, that's the idea. Jesus is the goal. And then finally, in this chapter, now finally for chapter 3, down in verse 20, he says that uh, we are citizens of heaven, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and that's because we should not have our minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in the spiritual kingdom of heaven, and we are waiting Jesus And that's how we should be. We should be thinking of spiritual things and, and acting like we are waiting on Jesus. We should not be acting out earthly things or, or you know, doing, um, you know, and we're talking about bad things, not necessarily, uh, we're talking about worldly things, not necessarily good things. You know, we're not talking about like you can't go have a picnic or something with your family, you know, but we're talking about not being worldly as in not being corrupt or deceitful and those types of things we don't want to be uh, lusting after the wrong things in the world that type of that type of thing so and we should not be placing more value on these things than we do the spiritual things of God these things are you know God gave us the earth and gave us all these things to enjoy but we should not place more value on those things than we do on the spiritual things of God, then, you know, we don't put, uh, we want to make sure that we put God first and that we're following the Lord <coughs> and doing the best we can, excuse me. Then, now chapter 4 is the final chapter, and in chapter 4, Paul is telling them to stand firm in the Lord. And he says that right here in the first verse, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Because he's telling them, you know, about their citizenship in heaven, and from it we await the Savior. And he says, therefore, since you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and you are awaiting the Lord, stand firm. You know, stand firm thus in the Lord, waiting for the Lord, and um, being a part of that spiritual kingdom, acting spiritually and not acting worldly. So, and then he encourages them to work together. If you look in verses 4 through 9, he instructs them on how to live uh, through their trying times. So, let's see. Um, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. One translation is the Lord is near. Now the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. Now this goes with verse 6. Now why they have that on verse 5, exactly I don't know, but it really pairs more with verse 6. 
the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, they kind of broke that odd when they said that the Lord is at hand, and they kind of make it a part of verse 5. But that's how they broke it. If you look here in the English Standard Version, you can see that it, it really appears to have been intended to be with verse 6. So it's like the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. In other words, the Lord is near. He's near. He's right here. And in the Amplified Bible, it does plainly say that the Lord is near. And the idea is that the Lord is, is here to help you. He is, he is with you. And so do not be anxious, but pray about everything and be thankful to God, you know, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And that's, <clears throat> if you include verse 8 in it, because let's, let's move on down, I didn't finish. Uh, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you, and then in verse 9 he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So this, from 4, from verse 4 through four, verse 9, is really, and I've called it kind of a recipe. Okay, So just think about this. This is instructions or a recipe or a method of um, resisting you know, anxiety and... Uh, you know, helping calm yourself from the, the trials and the stresses of the world. And I've, you know, it's just, it's just very simple. Paul says, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Um, again, I will say rejoice. Well, the reason we, one of the reasons we praise God is praising God and rejoicing in the Lord is, uh, it's kind of a faith building edifying thing. It strengthens our spirit. It makes us feel uh, uh, it makes us feel more connected to the Lord. It just reminds us that the Lord is real, that uh, that He is really there. Um, there's, a, there's a strengthening and I'm, I'm not saying it right, I'm sure, but there is a spiritual strengthening that comes from praising God. It, it edifies a part of us that uh, that other forms of worship, you know, you know, not praising, you know, uh, studying the Bible, studying the Word is very good. Um, prayer is very good, and that also can be very edifying and strengthening. But praising God and thanking God for these things is also a, a faith strengthening and bolstering thing. And it reminds us when we're thankful, it reminds us of, well, who are we thankful to and what are we thankful for? And it just reminds us of all his blessings, and it's just a very good thing. Now, I may not have said this in the best manner, but it is very, it's very uplifting and bolstering to your faith to be thankful and praising God. Um, it has its part to play in our lives, and we should be thankful and praising God, um, even in, 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 in whatever ways we can. Sometimes you just have to silently thank God for the good things that you have. Maybe you're in a situation where you can't speak out for whatever reason, but you're just, you know, you're just silently thanking God, 
maybe even praying and praising God silently and just saying, thank you, Lord. I appreciate all you do. All that's good. But um, but praising too, rejoicing the Lord, that can be a louder praising too. That can be an out loud praising. So nothing wrong with that. But he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know, we, we should be known to be reasonable, um, sensible people. We should not be known to be like out of hand or violent or, you know, given to wild uh, fluctuations of emotion and craziness, you know. And it's not that you can't be a little silly or have some fun sometimes, but uh, but we shouldn't be super, super angry, super, you know, um, uh, well, unreasonable would be one way, you know, we shouldn't be super contentious or, you know, unreasonable. So you can look at that a number of different ways as far as reasonableness, but uh, you get the idea. We should, people should know us as a Christian that we are, um, you know, we have self-control, we are in control of ourselves, that we deal fairly and reasonably, you know, at all times. So, and this, uh, again, these verses 4 through 9 are like, it's a little method of helping you get through trying times, getting through times where maybe you're feeling uh, persecuted, you're anxious, you're, you're uh, like I said, you're stressed. And this is a good way, and I, I may be going on about this too much, but it is a very good lesson. Just those verses right there by themselves even is a super good lesson from Paul on how to um, fight these bad thoughts and these, these stressors and the, this anxiety if you will take it all together and look at it step by step because in verse 8 he's like finally here's what you think of these things whatever is good whatever is pure whatever is commendable whatever is excellent these are the things you think of think about these things you know put these things in your mind think about these things these are good things these are positive things don't sit and dwell and chew on negative thoughts and negativity because that uh, that takes you down a negative path. And that, that is not going to be good for you and it's not going to be good for your spiritual well-being. So then, continuing on in chapter 4, because I know I took a long time with that, he, uh, Paul says that he has learned to be content and can do all things through Christ. So, and you can see this easily in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But you'll notice that in the verses below, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So, he has learned to be content and know how to handle these situations because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He trusts in God. And that's, that's that part of his message to them. And he knows that they're having some trying times. And he's letting them know that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. That they too have that. That they too can do that. And that applies to us as well. So we can, we can get through our trying times and our 
our stressful times and our anxious times, we can get through those through Christ who strengthens us. But he does give us, previously before this, he does give us that little method, that little way to do that. But here he says, you can do this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So then he praises them for their support and he blesses them and he gives them just kind of like a little final greeting at the end which is I guess when they would read the letter they would see that as like a final a final greeting greet every saint in Christ Jesus so and that is the end of his letter to the Philippians now I may have gone on a little long this is a small I admit it's a small letter compared to the others but it does have some very good stuff in it and I I have been a big fan of some of this, and you can tell that I really like, in chapter 4, those uh, helpful instructions and teachings there. So, but as I said, that is the end of Philippians. That is our summary. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, and remember, God loves you.